Hi, I'm Olivia Witteberg. And I'm Morgan Jones. And I'm Kara Murphy. And today we're going to be discussing the book Look Him in the Eyes by John Elder. John Elder is an author who grew up with undiagnosed Asperger's until the age of 40. For those who don't know, Asperger's syndrome is a condition on the autism spectrum with a generally higher functioning. People with this condition may be socially awkward and have an all-absorbing interest in specific topics. In his book, Look Me in the Eye, John Elder writes about his life growing up and sharing difficult experiences along the way. We'll be discussing some of his occupations and some theories that we can apply to his life. So just to start off, John Elder talks about how he grew up, um, his family dynamic. He had a mom and a dad that had a really hard relationship and a younger brother. Um, his parents fought a lot, which was due to his father being an alcoholic, which led him to be abusive and eventually his mom having a mental illness. And all of these things pretty much didn't make John's experience with what he was feeling very good. He didn't have the support he needed and we'll get into more details about that later. Um, so some barriers that John faced includes um, difficulties in social interactions with his peers. It made it hard for him to make friends while he was in school and then as an adult as well. Um, and as Morgan talked about, he had a chaotic home life because his father was an alcoholic and abusive to his mother and to the children. Um, and his mother had a mental illness due to all of that going on. And so that was a lot for John while he was growing up. Um, we're going to start talking about some occupational-based models that can be applied to John's case. So the first one we're going to talk about is the occupational adaptation model. The focus of this OBM is that there is an interactive process between a person and their environment, as well as an adaptive process that a person undergoes while they're engaging in occupation. So there are several different concepts that we're gonna talk about in relation to this model. The first one is the person concept. Um, it's dynamic, so it changes all the time throughout the person's lifespan. Um, three subcategories of the person concept are our cognitive factors, sensory motor factors, and psychosocial factors. Um, there's also an environment component to the OA model, um, which includes physical and social factors. And then there's, there's an interaction that happens between the person and their environment, which yields their occupation and their engagement in occupation. Um, three concepts that are unique to this model include the desire for mastery, the demands for mastery, and occupational press. Desire for mastery is an internal drive or motivation for a person to engage in occupation. Um, the demands for mastery come from their environment, so like tasks that they have to complete or work responsibilities. And then occupational press is a concept that comes from the combination of the desire for mastery and the demands for the person's environment. So function in the occupational adaptation model is defined as the person's ability to adapt or the lack of ad adaptiveness um, and change in motivation occur through the person having motivation within themselves and then changing when an occupational is meaningful to them, when the demands of their environment fit their abilities, and when the press from the environment equals the person's ability to adapt and successfully perform an, an occupation. Intervention in this model is collaborative with the client and takes an occupation-based approach. 
How do you feel that you could apply this to John Elder? So the concepts we talked about initially, the person and the environment, um, we'll go into that first. So the cognitive and psychosocial aspects of John Elder include um, his diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome because since, you know, Kara's definition she read to us earlier was about um, the impact on social function, we know that that would impact his occupation and ability to engage in his environment. Additionally, John has um, some specific personal interests in machinery and technology and has a lot of skill in those areas. So those are important things to um, consider when looking mm -hmm. at his occupational engagement. Um, as far as his family, this kind of goes back to what we mm -hmm. talked about at the beginning. Um, his family life as a child really impacts his ability to engage in occupation as well as the fact that he like lacked a lot of friendship and meaningful relationships with his peers in addition to all the chaos that was going on at home. I think that this model can be used to understand John Elder because we see that there is a disadaptation between the demands for mastery and his abilities. Um, his demands for ex for example like as a child and as an adult he has difficulty communicating with others and the demands of his environment whether he's at school or work require that he's able to do that so there's kind of a mismatch there between what he needs to do and what he's able to do um, John has a desire for mastery because of his technology and machinery skills and interests and improvement of his adaptation skills in social communication could improve the dysfunction between his abilities and the demands of his environment at home or um, school or work or really in any of his um, domains. Assessment and intervention for John in the OA model would look like considering John's occupations and what is most meaningful to him. So I think looking at him as an adult his job is really important to him and so is his role as a father um, so knowing that we can evaluate John's adaptive strategies and his reasoning process during occupational engagement to kind of figure out what we're looking at in terms of his demands for mastery as well as his abilities and then intervention um, one of the interventions that I found in the article that talked about um, the occupational adaptation model included like cognitive behavioral strategies to help the person improve on reading social cues and engaging in conversation through others and I think that an intervention that would look like role-playing in with the occupational therapist on um, how he could better engage in conversations or maybe even scripts that he can follow like when engaging in conversation with coworkers or people that are below him at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a big component for him is definitely communication with others and using those social cues to really find ways for him to engage with others. Mm -hmm. So thank you for Olivia for sharing that OBM. We are going to move on to the PEO occupational based model. So PEO stands for Person, Environment, and Occupation. So the focus of this model is the transactional relationship between a person, environment, and occupation and how it fits into their occupational performance. So occupational performance is the outcome of those three concepts. So first we're gonna talk about the person component. So kind of like Olivia's, it's 
a dynamic thing with the individual. So they'll change over time and it's a holistic approach on their life. So then moving on to the environment, this is where the occupations of an individual will take place. And depending on the environment, a person may behave differently based on the context, which I'll talk about later when applying it to John Elder. And then the last concept of this transactional relationship is the occupation. So an occupation is an interest or way someone may fulfill their role and meet their personal needs in the environment. So pretty much like the main definition for this um, OBM is trying to maximize the fit. So the better the fit an individual has, the better their occupational performance will be, which will definitely be important when we're considering John Elder's life. So in order to see function or dysfunction, so function in this occupational-based model is a maximized fit of the PEO and pretty much the opposite for dysfunction. So it's just a poor fit in the environment, which will lead to poor occupational performance. So change will honestly just occur constantly since the person is a dynamic individual. And like I said before, it's a transactional relationship. So if one aspect changes, the whole entire relationship is going to change and that will depend on the context the individual is in. And kind of going off Olivia, the motivation for this OBM is also intrinsic. So it's kind of if the individual is motivated, then they'll be motivated to change the relationship. Some interventions could be wanting to work hand in hand with the whole thing. So trying to strengthen the person, the environment, and the occupations, because that will really lead to a higher occupational performance. They should all coexist with one another. So the environment and the occupation need to be a strong relationship, the person and the occupation, and the person and the environment. And the occupational therapist is just gonna find ways to maximize the fit for that individual. So applying this um, OBM to John Elder. So his occupations are gonna affect how he acts in his environment. He's very fixated on like trains and electronics and he does that mostly in his home environment and his work environment. Um, depending on who he's with and the environment he's in, this is gonna dictate his different behaviors. He's going to act differently in school than he will at home. He definitely acted out more at school, which we will talk about later when it comes to the frame of references. Um, in addition, when he found meaningful occupations in the electronic injury industry with the band KISS, his behaviors became more positive. He was really driven by those meaningful occupations, which made him become a more functional individual in terms of the PEO model. So in terms of assessment and intervention, like I said, the um, OT is just going to want to find meaningful occupations that's going to motivate him, um, really focus on those strengths and kind of determine those weaknesses so you're able to strengthen them later on and really focusing on how he's able to function in his environment with these certain roles and occupations. And then they're going to de develop a potential intervention plan from there. Okay, thanks Kara. So going into our last OBM, I'm going to be talking about CMOP-E which is pretty similar to the PEO as it focuses on person, environment, occupation. But with this one, you have spirituality. The human spirit is in the middle of this OBM. And that is just, the purpose of that is to identify the individual's needs and provide client-centered care. So in the middle of this, we have the human spirit, and there are three different factors that play into that, which are affective, physical, and cognitive factors. And then you have the client's occupations, whether those are self-care, leisure activities, or what they do to stay productive. 
And then outside of all of this, encompassing all of it is the client environment. And that can be a physical environment, institutional, cultural, and social. And um, the function and dysfunction of this OPM, basically, if a client is functional, they are able to perform and all of these different aspects of who they are are at a level that allows them to perform in any way that they want to. And dysfunction, kind of like the PEO, is if there is any um, deficit in any area that surrounds the person and that can inhibit their performance. Um, clients are changed as they form their own goals. And as they form their own goals, they stay motivated by if they're able to meet those goals. So it comes from intrinsic motivation. And then the assessment tool that is used for the CMOP is the COPM, which is an interview style where they're asked, asking the client things that are important to them, where they feel like they have deficits. And then eventually they create five goals that they wanna work on. And as they reach these goals, it's the OT's job to um, do another post-assessment on if they should change their goals to other areas or continue to work on ones that they haven't met yet. And then that kind of goes along with the intervention aspect of the CMOP is the OT will come up with um, different things that the client might want to work on. There is no set actual intervention definitions. It's just up to the OT to be able to come up with things that the client can work on to eventually achieve those goals. And then taking the CMOP a little bit further and applying it to John Elder would allow us to have a full client-centered aspect of him. I know reading the book and having a full perspective of things he dealt with and his thoughts and never really having anyone hear him out this I think would be really beneficial to him um under that person aspect the affective it just talks about relationships interpersonal at home in school and getting that um, knowledge of him I remember him saying as a five-year-old he was lonely and him being able to talk about that with an occupational therapist and how at home, he feels like there's no one listening to him. In school, his relationships aren't just flourishing as he'd want them to. Um, would be really important for him. And then kind of like what Olivia said, the cognitive factors of this one is just Asperger's and how it can affect him. Some important ways he's affected is his judgment, reasoning, and concentration. And also kind of like what Kara said, we see this a lot in school. He has a hard time forming relationships because he doesn't know how to judge, how to act, or how to play, or reason with others, and concentrate in school and be a good student and friend to others. And then within the occupation, um, self-care, you know, doing the things he wants to do with technology and working for the band KISS or playing with other kids in school, um, those are things that he really enjoyed and you see a lot of deficits with that as he grows up and so focusing in on those would be super helpful for him um his environments really affected him as we talked about earlier just his family life um social he struggled with his mom and dad and forming a relationship with him and them accepting him to have little differences from other kids at his age and then um, 
going on from this to assess him I think it would allow us to get his full perspective on things he's struggling with not just externally but internally and then seeing those dysfunctions and helping him flourish into the kid and adult that he wanted to be and didn't have to do it all on his own. So an intervention idea that I had using the CMOP would be focusing in on John Elder's playtime during recess or in school and kind of teaching him that there are activities that he likes to do that other kids might not like to do and learning social cues in different environments and how to talk and play with other kids and learning different games to play or new interests. And then from this, he would stay motivated as throughout using this occupational therapy perspective, he could make new friends and then continue on with therapy as he's increasing socialization in school and at home. Okay, yeah. thank you, Morgan. Um, we're gonna start talking now about frames of reference that we can apply to John Elder's situation. So the first one that I'll be talking about is the cognitive behavioral frame of reference. Um, the focus of this frame of reference has kind of five points. So the first is phenomenology, which just refers to keeping um, the focus on the client's perspective of their problems. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the second point, which is collaboration and just keeping the care client centered around what they feel like they need to be working on or what their goal should be. Activity is the third um, concept of this four, and that refers to behaviors that result from perception and information processing. Empiricism is also really important. It's the scientific method of the client's ability to apply reasoning to real life situations. And that kind of goes along with the last concept, which is generalization, just that ability to be able to apply skills or reasoning that a person learns to different contexts and situations. Um, so when we're using this for, obviously we would be using assessment tools along with it. A few examples of ones that I, th I think apply to a client that has Asperger's would be the role checklist, life satisfaction, inventory, um, Allen's cognitive level screening, the Bay Area functional performance evaluation, and the occupational self-assessment. The therapeutic mode of the OT when using this um, frame of reference would be a collaborator, and that kind of goes along with what we talked about a little bit ago, just about how keeping the care client-centered and focused on what John would like to do. Um, another important aspect to the cognitive behavioral for is reinforcement. And so that can occur through internal or external reinforcers. But honestly, the best like way to do reinforcement within this for and with the specific client would be to try to um, get him to be like satisfied from mastering and achieving goals. So you could provide small tasks that are easier to accomplish so that way he's able to get that initial feeling of mastery and achievement um, and just feeling like assured in himself before moving to larger tasks to complete. And then along with that, it's also really important to work on reframing um, thought processes for maladaptive behaviors. So I think more specifically in applying this to John Elder, I was able to come up with two interventions that go along with the cognitive behavioral frame of reference. Um, the first is 
social and life skills programs, which would focus more on social skills that he has in interactions and communication with others. I think one part of the book where this is noted um, is when he's a child and he talks in the book about how like another child may say to him like I really like this truck that he's playing with and like John's response to that is to then talk about something that he's interested in that's not like on the same topic and so I think just learning how can I communicate with others in a way that is socially acceptable and makes sense to them would be a really important thing to look at in intervention and also that kind of goes along with self-regulation interventions, just learning to adjust his thought processes and know what is considered socially acceptable in interactions with his peers versus things that are not considered socially acceptable. Perfect, thank you, Olivia. So now we're gonna move on to the applied behavioral frame of reference. So this frame of reference focuses on shaping and, like, shaping and chaining. So shaping involves reinforcing successive approximations of a desired behavior, while chaining involves one response leading to the occurrence of another response. Most behaviors tend to occur in chains, and this is an extension of operant conditioning, which is defined as learned behavior occurring through reinforcement. And you see that a lot through his life, which I will talk about later um, during the application part. Um, so operant conditioning kind of explains how children know what it means when they're being punished or when someone approves of their behavior. And another type of uh, reinforcement that we see is continued reinforcement, which is making tasks more challenging each time. So um, there are several types of reinforcement, continuous, fixed ratio, fixed interval, negative, token economics, and self-reinforcement. And the change in motivation that we see in the applied behavioral frame reference is when a desired behavior is defined, cues are given by the therapist or other authoritative figures to help the patient learn how to do the behavior. And it kind of leads to motivation for the client. Like if they are given positive reinforcement, they're gonna to wanna to keep continuing to do this um, just to make the occupational therapist happy and achieve self-mastery. So the client will then demonstrate behavior leading to reinforcement. And the OT will kind of figure out what tends to reinforce the client to achieve these behaviors. Um, onto the intervention portion, it's very client-centered and you need to target a certain behavior and find out what will reinforce them. So this can be teaching new skills, making sure the client is following guidelines and trying to relax, relax the client through systematic desensitization, oh my God, desensitization process um, through behavior modification. So we can kind of apply this behavior to John Elder during his childhood. When he was in school, he was receiving reinforcement from his peers in, um, in his classes because he would pull these pranks on his teachers and other students and the children would laugh. So it kind of made him want to continue to do it more. Um, and I kind of talk about it before and I will in a little bit how negative reinforcement can kind of lead to these behaviors um, and negative um, oh my gosh, reinforcement, I'm sorry. So he also was told how good he was in terms of fixing speakers and electronics and it made him want to work even harder and find more clients and he tends to become even more fixated on it. So like I said before, some interventions could be systematic desensitization, which is defined as um, breaking down those fears into manageable compo components and kind of getting rid of those phobias. So yeah. 
All right, so moving into our final frame of reference, I'm going to be explaining sensory integration. The main focus of this four is to integrate sensations into desired occupations for clients. Um, the function definition of this would be anyone who is able to function day to day in terms of learning, going to school, sleeping, interacting socially, all of those different things. And then compared to having an overreaction or an underreaction of certain stimuli. So an example would be someone who is hypo-responsive, requires a large amount of stimulation. Compared to hyper-responsive, they require a small amount of stimulation. And then assessment for this four is basically just observation, um, getting to know the client and seeing how they function when it comes to getting dressed, going to work, going to school, and noting the things that might either have them overreact or underreact um, <clears throat> compared to like almost a normal functioning. And then change through this one is through different sensory inputs and their interactions in those occupations. And then um, motivation also is like an intrinsic compared to uh, the CMOP where as they achieve those goals, they're gonna stay motivated and the OT is going to make sure to keep those goals centered around the client's emotions, abilities, interests, and again, their goals. Um, the interventions are directed towards these clients' goals, and you need to make sure that the activities that you are intervening um, have the level of sensory input that the client needs in order to get better and intensify and eventually get to that um, functional limit. Um, applying this to John Elder um, would be beneficial because it is most often used with people living with autism or Asperger's. Um, we tend to find a lot of sensory um, deficits with them in terms of clothing, going to school, all of those um, provide just kind of barriers for them to function in the classroom or in school. So one thing I thought of was maybe spending the day with John Elder just from the beginning of the day getting dressed until the end of the day. So what he's like in the morning, how he acts in school, getting home through meals, um, just learning all of the things that he might struggle with, whether it be the clothing he's wearing, the amount of noise in the classroom because he was undiagnosed. He wasn't in any specific classroom to monitor that for him or in mealtime, the cafeteria where he's eating, that can just be an overload for him or underload. We would just have to figure that out. Um, an intervention would be obviously to have John diagnosed and allow him to use a sensory room that he can go to during the day um, when he needs it and, or figure out those times a day where you see him starting to struggle and allow him to go to that room during specific times to sort of regulate himself and modulate how he's feeling with the different sensory inputs that he deals with day to day. Okay, thank you, Morgan. Um, I think now we can start to evaluate and critique how effective each of our OBMs and fours would be within um, the context of John Elder. So. 
The first one would be the one I talked about, which is occupational adaptation. Um, I feel like the pro to this model is that it helps us to understand the dysfunction between John's abilities and the demands of his environments and focus on closing the gap between those two things. Mm -hmm. But I think the negative is I don't feel like this model really considers conditions where there may not be adaptability past a certain point. Like we can um, create interventions to adapt his social skills to fit his environment, but there may always be a little bit of a mismatch between them because of his diagnosis of Asperger's. Yeah. And I feel like I like how it focuses on like his desire for mastery and like what occupations he wants to focus on. But kind of like you're saying, there's always going to be a little bit of a gap Mm -hmm. since he was diagnosed also for so long. Like, depending on what phase of his life that we're looking at, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so then we'll continue on to the PEO model. Um, I really like how the PEO, like, helps us see how his environment affects his occupations and what meaningful activities he desires. Um, Mm. And this also eventually will affect his occupational performance. Because since I feel like his relationship with his environment and how his behaviors act it's going to continuously be changing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it'll never be kind of stable, if that makes sense. And when like since he was undiagnosed for so long, I feel like their relationship will always be kind of off. Mm -hmm. But I do like how it's like a holistic holistic approach and view, um, and it really allows him to be Mm client-centered. I think, too, sorry. No, you go ahead. I think, too, um, like the PEO and the OA model remind me a lot of each other yeah, and so I, agree. I think the other problem too with yours is the same as mine like that there's a certain point where there's not going to be like a better fit yeah and I like how like I said like the person concept of both of those is dynamic but mm-hmm. I feel like that could also make it really challenging because he's constantly changing mm-hmm. yeah I think that also relates to the CMOP like it's very comparable to the PEO where you're looking at all aspects mm-hmm. of this person, which allows it to be client-centered, but in terms of people who have a specific diagnosis where the environment is never going to be fully functional mm-hmm. for them, or like you can't just change their home life, like you can't tell their mom and yeah. dad to be better people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the world just doesn't work that way. But I do like the fact that it is client-centered and gives John Elder the chance to talk about um, areas he's not functioning mm-hmm. uh, functioning um, the way he wants to and um, allows him to make his own goals collaboratively with the OT but one thing that I kind of struggled with there is no like reinforcement for the motivation or the change so like people who might take longer to reach their goals and aren't reaching where they need to be or feel like they're not doing good enough like it would almost impact their motivation and like they might turn away from therapy and that it's not for them and their life will always be this way. So I think one thing I would change about it is introduce a reinforcement, Mm -hmm. even if I am basing therapy off of the CMOP, just so the changes they're making are more evident to Mm -hmm. the client, even if they don't see them for themselves. Well, all three of these, aren't they all intrinsic motivation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So I I think think like that would, it's a very good point, Morgan, like, maybe making the motivation more extrinsic and, yeah. like, having reinforcement, like, in mm-hmm. this, like, using this theory when you're applying it to them might work better and, like, help them adapt. Yeah. Because I just thought of this, like, too, like, having that transactional relationship in the PEO makes it so difficult because each aspect will just depend on each other. And if yeah. one changes, it's just going to yeah. mess up the whole dynamic of it. Absolutely. So which do we think would be the best fit for him based off of those three? Mm. 
kind of feel like the C might be might be the best in my opinion. I think so too because I think that you and I both touched on how they're like considering adaptation or a fit may not be the best situation yeah. for this diagnosis and I think that the CMOP allows it to be more open as to how you approach exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the fact that it really touches on client-centered care like the other ones do of course to a certain extent but this one like really revolves around that concept Mm -hmm. i agree okay cool so i guess we can move on to our frame of references okay so the cognitive behavioral frame of reference um so for the pro i felt like this um frame of reference fits the occupational performance issues that john had because it focuses on the self-management of thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, which in his case is like these social interaction um, kind of maladaptive thoughts and behaviors Mm -hmm. that may be a barrier to his successful social interactions as we saw several times throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I couldn't think of a negative for this one. I mean, I think the only thing it comes down to is the same thing I said for the OA, like there may be a potential that there's not an ability to like rewire those mm-hmm. processes yeah. like of his thoughts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I had the applied behavioral um frame of reference and I honestly feel like I had more negatives compared okay. to positives um <laughs> just like when I was applying it to mm-hmm. him like I think it's a great um frame of reference when you're using those positive reinforcers and systematic desensitization <laughs> um because you see like kind of how I said before, like, in school with his peers, the reinforcement he received explains why he grew up more rebellious. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if he had those positive reinforcers throughout his life, he Mm -hmm. might have grown up in a different way, but also it's kind of hard with his family dynamic. Like, they weren't really there to do that or really kind of focus on him. But I overall do think it's a great frame of reference if used properly. And I think it's really hard because, like, since he was undiagnosed, a lot of those reinforcers were leading to more maladaptive or bad behaviors I think this one would be tricky just because yeah he's at therapy and he's going to get the reinforcers he needs but going to school or going home like his parents aren't going to reinforce him when he does something Mm -hmm. good and if he does anything bad like it's really bad Mm -hmm. you know just like the abuse portion of the book and stuff I just, yeah, I can see where you're coming mm-hmm. from. Like, the reinforcement just could be tricky because yeah. his environments and don't I feel like those him. habits just won't build. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you're teaching someone, if you're being, like, an OT and, like, an outpatient thing, you see them maybe once a week. How do you know that the parents are continuing to yeah. do, like, mm-hmm. exactly. those activities with them? Or even, like you guys are saying, like, totally going against the reinforcement exactly. you're providing in therapy. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And I kind of could see him doing that. Like, I obviously can't speak for him mm-hmm. with those experiences, but, like, just through his childhood, I feel like he was, like, using those like negative reinforcers to kind of go with it and just take it the nine yards yeah Yeah. um so the last four is our sensory integration and i think this one would be helpful for john elder as it could improve how he um, acts in the school day Um, i think it would really benefit him in school just because he struggled most with friendships and um like in the classroom, he didn't get the chance to be in a classroom better fit for him. And um, just it would help modulate his anxiety and socialization during the school day. Um, one negative of this is it's not something clients really want to work on. Like I think of myself and like foods I don't like to eat because the way they feel in my mouth, I'm just going to avoid those. Mm-hmm. And so 
clients with sensory issues tend to just avoid that sense mm -hmm. and it's hard to improve on things like that like John Elder talking to kids about things that aren't only interested by him you mm -hmm. know like that's something hard for him and from that he avoids those kids who don't like things that he likes um so I think it will be difficult for him, but as he sees um, improvement in making friends and his school day, I think that's what will keep him motivated. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So which one of the fours do we feel like is the best fit for John then? Personally, I think um, what Morgan just touched on, the sensory integration, would be very beneficial. And honestly, it might have gotten, gotten him a diagnosis earlier in his yeah. life because in the book, I don't know if you guys remember this, but he was young, he just kept saying, I'm defective. Like, I'm defective yeah. in his home life. And I feel like he probably was saying that at school at some point, too, maybe a teacher mm -hmm. or something. And using, like, this for, they might have gotten him into, like, a sensory room or something like yeah. that to really improve that socialization and make it more positive school experience. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So I think we can transition now to kind of reviewing each other's um, comments about each of the fours and OBMs. So um, I can start with okay. that. So Kara, I felt like I loved your comments about um, the examples that you gave. So you gave an example for um, what meaningful occupation looked like in his life and how it made his behaviors more positive when you were talking about reinforcement. And you also talked about um, kind of like reinforcement in a negative light in John's life like when he would play mm -hmm. pranks or whatever he would get laughs and so then he just kept doing it and I think that really like gave a good idea of what reinforcement would look like for him and also kind of to go off what you said earlier like the negative way that it mm -hmm. could be too um and then I thought that your maximizing fit I just noticed that like it went along with cognitive behavioral as well mm -hmm. the only comment on something I feel like that could be improved on if you're going to treat him tomorrow is to work on interventions for the PEO specifically because the assessment was so thorough. I um, agree. I could have definitely looked at that further or thought of more things yeah. for him tomorrow. Okay. And then do you want to go ahead Just and critique Kara? Yeah. yeah, perfect. So kind of like saying what Olivia was um, explaining, your explanation of the fit was really beneficial in understanding the PEO and how it functions. Um, I think you did a really good job um, using examples from the book, um, just explaining adulthood and childhood um, areas of deficit that he had and like uh, using the PEO to apply that. And then also with the applied behavioral approach, um, just one thing like the intervention for mm -hmm. PEO, like that one's obviously a little bit more vague and so, obviously, interviewing him and seeing where he'd function, you'd mm -hmm. be able to think of more intervention, obviously. But I think, overall, you did a great job explaining what what the OBM and the four are about and their focuses. And I know we picked the CMOP and sensory integration, but I feel like if we had to choose the ones that you chose, like, you did a great job explaining why we should use those, mm -hmm. and I would feel comfortable using those on John. Thank yes, you. Agreed. I appreciate it. Should we move on to Olivia? Sure. So, Olivia, I thought you did a really great job. You were super thorough with everything, and I felt like I have an even better understanding of the OBMs and fours that you touched on. Um, I really liked how you connected 
the main concepts with John Elder, like, talking about his demands for mastery and his desires, because honestly, I was a little bit confused about those before we really connected them with, like, a real-life concept, and I feel like talking about how demand his demands include needing to efficiently communicate with people at school or with work is a really good um, thing that you touched on. The only thing that I think you could have done further is talk more about his specific occupations, like his job and his role as a father or a son, and just have some real life examples from the book with that. But otherwise, I think you did a great job. Yeah, going off of that, I just think the one thing to work on would be just the occupations and examples. Um, but I did think you did a great job explaining and applying um, like the desire for mastery mm-hmm. and occupational press definitions and how we would use those for John Elder. Um, I did like your choices of intervention for each of your OBM and four. I felt like they were all very appropriate for John Elder's case and how we would go about using those to treat him. Um, And kind of like I said for Kara, I thought like the frame of reference, the cognitive behavioral would be very beneficial for him. And you did a great job like Mm -hmm. advocating for that frame of reference as it you explained like it encompasses his emotions, behaviors, almost all aspects of him. And so I would feel comfortable using each of those ones just from your explanations of them. Okay. Thank you, guys. And so now we can talk about Morgan's um, review. So uh, I said that I loved that you talked about focusing on his desires and, oh, my gosh, how you said that in your assessment, it would be so important to focus on hearing him out because Mm -hmm. he never felt heard out. Like, that was just so good. Um. And the intervention of observing his sensory integration throughout the day, I think that's a good way to try to figure out if he maybe is having like hyposensitivity or hypersensitivity. Mm -hmm. The only thing I said, which you touched on in your critique of your own, like, is that I think maybe some external reinforcers would be Mm -hmm. helpful just in case like he is not able to like have that internal reinforcement. Mm -hmm. I agree with all the points that Olivia just made. Um, I thought you did an amazing job explaining both of them. And I really liked how thorough you were with the interventions. Like it really gave our audience a great um, thing to understand the concepts of it. Like I loved the sensory room and I really liked how you said like setting times for him, like for observation and stuff. The only thing I think would be the same thing Olivia said, just like external um, reinforcers to help motivate our client. Okay, thank you guys. Wow. So, yep, I think that is all we have for this podcast. And we had a really good time being able to take these OBMs and fours that we have learned throughout the semester and applying it to a real life case. And yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you.